We have been in Matthew now for a number of months. We have been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with the Beatitudes. And if you would, let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. Matthew writes, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God abides forever. Father, thank You for Your Word this afternoon, that we can read Your Word, that we can listen to Your Word, that we can be affected by Your Word through the working of Your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that You would Bring illumination to our hearts and our minds that we might hear you speak to each one of us, that we might live lives as disciples who bring glory to your name. We ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Matthew 5, Jesus' opening sermon describes and defines the kingdom of God for those who are disciples. The first seven Beatitudes have been a lesson for us in opposites. Everything that they've been taught, these disciples have been taught on how the world works is wrong compared to what we read about in the kingdom of God. This new kingdom that Jesus has introduced is upside down to every value that these Men and those who are listening on the, on the fringe know poor, not rich, is God's way. Weeping, not celebrating, brings God's blessing. Pride and self-promotion are not the way, but humility and meekness are. And on and on in these first seven Beatitudes that we have studied. And now this afternoon, we come to this last Beatitude. And it is an interesting one because you see twice where Jesus says, blessed are you, blessed are they or those. And so twice, it's not two different Beatitudes, it's one Beatitude, but it's expanded. And by implication, we see the seriousness of this Beatitude. And so these Beatitudes are about how they reveal how we live in the kingdom of God and who belongs to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And do they belong to the kingdom of God or do they belong to the kingdom of this world, which is Satan's kingdom? 
What a powerful contrast we see here in in lifestyles and values. But in this last beatitude, the last blessing, these disciples are not told about how they are to live, but about what will happen to them because of the way they live, because of the beatitudes that they seek to live out in their daily lives. Surrounded now, understand, Jesus is, is not surrounded just by his disciples, but by a group of, of many unbelieving, curious bystanders. And this sermon, this final beatitude, is absolutely, when you read it, the worst recruitment speech of all time. Blessed are you, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Join this kingdom. Live in this kingdom. Follow this king. And you need to know that you will be persecuted and you will suffer. And oh, by the way, what a blessing that will be. You know, in John, I think it's John 9, when Jesus made the comment, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, it said many of his disciples left him. So imagine the impact of this beatitude at this moment when these people are, they've known Jesus for a while. Now he's been moving about in their villages and towns. He's been healing already some, as you read in other, the other gospels, some persecution has come about, some reviling has come about. But, but if you're sitting there and you're listening to this sermon and you're, you're being attracted to this kingdom and then all of a sudden Jesus says, oh, by the way, to be in this kingdom, here's what is going to happen to you. But this is the way of Christ's kingdom. And by sharing this sermon, Jesus is not only preparing his disciples for the inevitability of persecution, he's also telling these unbelievers, this is, this is life in my kingdom. And later on in Matthew 7, if you, you see as Jesus is closing his sermon, he's speaking to the unbelievers when he says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the, the narrow gate. Here is the, the gospel being offered to them, calling unbelievers to faith in him and with an understanding that they are going to be persecuted if they come. And it's not a very attractive offer. That is, that is not what people want to hear when you offer them the kingdom of God. When I first came to faith in Christ in 1976, this brand new book came out by a man named David Wilkerson. It was called the Jesus Pocket Promise Book. <clears throat> For those of you who are about my age or older, you will remember the Jesus Pocket Promise Book. It was 867 verses of the promises of God. And it was actually wonderfully gospel-centered. And it was wonderfully encouraging and comforting to read about all that God does for his children. All that God has made possible for his children. But of 867 pocket promises, only five through that entire book mention anything about persecution. And so the, the... the early days of my Christian life, you just never thought about the reality of facing those who didn't like you simply because you followed after Christ. Well, Jesus makes it very clear. He made it very clear at the beginning of his ministry 
there is a serious cost to being one of my disciples and to live in my kingdom. And it is a cost that Jesus will speak about again and again until his crucifixion when he puts on full display the persecution and suffering that comes with living for God. Now, since all the Beatitudes describe what every Christian disciple is intended to be, the condition of being despised and rejected and slandered and persecuted is as much a normal mark of the Christian life, of Christian discipleship, as being pure in heart or being merciful or hungering for righteousness. Listen, those, those who hunger for righteousness will suffer for the hunger they crave. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, to live righteously before God, to live out these beatitudes, you will suffer for that. That is what this final beatitude promises. Three times in this verse, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets. Jesus three times clearly says, listen, persecution is a part of the Christian life. Now, that, that can seem a bit distant for us. We don't live in India or Burma or North Korea or Iran or other countries that, that persecute physically and publicly those who are followers of Christ. But as we, as we studied our way through First Peter recently, we, we became aware just of our own headlines in our own country of the growing persecution, the growing disdain, the growing hatred for those who are followers of Christ, the reviling, the ridicule, the mockery, the, the, the name-calling. And these passages, and this passage this day in our expository journey through the book of Matthew is clearly intended by the Lord to prepare you, to warn you, to ready you for what has not, what is not going to happen, but what is already happening in our country and will continue to happen because things don't get better. They typically get worse. And if we are to stand for Christ, if we are to live for Christ, we need to take these words not only seriously, but we need to take them in a sense prophetically. This, this is going to happen. If you notice in verse 11, Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you. When is not about the possibility, it is about the reality that this is going to happen. And so as we study this beatitude, be ready to, to look at what, what does my life look like in respect to this? And, and what do I already face? Or what might I face? Or just being prepared. Because this is God speaking to us through His Word and preparing our hearts for what it means to continue living in His kingdom and fulfilling these Beatitudes. And it's not as though these Beatitudes are, are separated. Like, yeah, you know, some of you here do the Beatitude of, you're really merciful. 
And some of you are, are peacemakers. And, and maybe, and, and many of you are, are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And maybe a few here are going to be persecuted. No, these beatitudes are to be fulfilled, all of them, by all of us, all the time. So we are all to be merciful. We are all to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are all to mourn. We are all to be poor in spirit. We are all to, to be peacemakers and to be persecuted. Two main points in this passage. One is the certainty of persecution. And secondly, the certainty of God's blessing. Let's look at the certainty of persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when there is the certainty of persecution. Now, what is, what is meant by persecution here? The Greek to persecute literally means to vex or to molest or to prosecute, or to pursue to death. There is this idea of being badly treated, whether it's verbally or physically, even unto death. It simply means that the world is our enemy because we are followers of Christ. Now, you would think that living the Beatitudes would actually be attractive to people. Here's this merciful person, Here is this meek and humble person. Here's this person that seeks to bring peace to the situations they're in. It's not true. Listen, living rightly for Christ brings persecution because it threatens the world's way of life. When the light of Christ, listen, comes into darkness, it exposes the sin people are trying so hard to hide. John 3.19, and this is judgment The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And we are called to be a light of the world. The world, brothers and sisters, the world is in rebellion against God. We were in rebellion against God prior to coming to faith in Christ. We were in rebellion, and it is not happy. The world is not happy when it encounters someone who is not like them. When we identify with Jesus and not the world, Jesus says here in John 3, we will be hated. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary, said this, to be Christian ultimately is to be like Christ. And one can never be like Christ without being entirely changed. We must get rid of the old nature that hates Christ and hates righteousness. We need a new nature that will love these things and love Him and thus become like Him. And then he says this, If you try to imitate Christ, the world will praise you. If you become Christ-like, it will hate you. Again, in John 15, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
Christ-likeness in us will produce the same result as Christ-likeness did in the apostles, in the early church, and in every believer throughout history who has been persecuted and has suffered for being a follower of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.29, Paul writes, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And we see that right here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Christ is our righteousness. And when we suffer, we suffer for his sake. And Paul makes it clear in Philippians, that is what we have been granted. Not thrust upon us, but what we have been granted. The privilege of living for Christ, the the privilege of being one with Christ, united to Christ, and the opportunity and privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. And there there are a number of reasons why we are persecuted, but let me give you two. First, it says here, for righteousness' sake. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're being merciful. You're being pure in heart. Being a peacemaker. Poor in spirit. In other words, recognizing that you are needing Christ and mourning over your sin, repenting over your sin. All of these, all of these beatitudes, that is indeed desiring to live a godly life. And because you want to live that godly life, you will be persecuted. The gospel intends to produce in us, brothers and sisters, a lifestyle characterized by righteousness, this righteousness here. But, but this is going to challenge the moral indifference and the, and the compromises others make around us in the world and in the church sometimes. Don't just assume that that persecution will come from those just outside the church. There are times when those in the church who are maybe morally indifferent or compromising the truth of God's Word, they, they will persecute us as well. And sometimes it's not what we do that brings about people's hatred and persecution. Sometimes it's simply what we don't do that stirs up resentment, not laughing at a crude joke, or not gossiping when those around us are gossiping, or just refusing to compromise when the opportunity is offered at a, at a job or in a situation. The very things that we don't do can create resentment and hatred towards us. And so we are persecuted, number one, for righteousness' sake. We're secondly, we're persecuted for identifying with Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You sit here today And by being here, you declare that you are his. That you are his on, by his account, you are here. You belong to him. You are united to him. 
And because you make that statement, Jesus says, you'll be blessed when you are reviled and persecuted and all kinds of evil are uttered against you and there are, there are lies told about you on his account. Jesus has stopped speaking in generalities. If you look at verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. But now in verse 11, he gets very personal. He says, blessed are you. He's speaking to you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. He is making it clear. He is speaking to you. Now, if we are living righteously and we are identifying with Jesus, listen, we're going to be slandered and we're going to be insulted, reviled, lied about, maybe even physically harmed. We, and we will stand firm because Christ is standing with us. We will, we will stand firm even when we are reviled, even when we are, are lied about, even when we are being mocked. And what we will not do, brothers and sisters, we will not hide or quietly disappear. We will not fall into the background and not stand up for Christ to avoid being persecuted. No, no, we, we will stand firm because Christ is standing with us. His Spirit is empowering us. It is His strength that causes us to stand. And yes, to, to endure what we are called to endure. Jesus tells us that if we don't hide, we will be blessed and great is our reward in heaven. First Peter 4, which we studied, Peter writes to the, church, the churches that are being persecuted, to the, the churches that are suffering under persecution. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, he writes, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter writes that aware of his own failing to stand for Christ when he denied the Lord three times as he stood by a fire awaiting the crucifixion of the Savior. And so when Peter writes these words, he is saying, don't be like me. Don't do what I did. Stand firm. Do not be ashamed. Glorify God. Listen, when professed believers are popular and praised by the world, it does not indicate that the world's standards have somehow been raised. It rather, I think, indicates that the many who call themselves Christian have lowered their standard. 
and become more like the world. They're reflecting, excuse me, rather than confronting society and the culture around them when they please the world. And when they please the world, they can be sure they are grieving the Lord. Luke 6.26, Jesus says this, Woe to you when men speak well of you. And so, brothers and sisters, let us, let, us, let us stand in the power and strength of God through the Spirit for righteousness' sake and for being identified with Christ. That is the certainty of persecution for being a Christian. Secondly, though, there's the certainty of God's blessing. In 5.12, we read, Rejoice! And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Twice, Jesus says, blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you and slander you. And now he says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Here's the only beatitude with the command. Rejoice and be glad. And, and glad there literally means exceedingly glad. I don't even know how that looks in practice. I do know that that the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And so there's this, there's this future joy. There's this future hope. And this, this passage is not about the present in a sense. It's about looking to the future. It's the passage that Chris read when we had our call to worship. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope, who is, who is keeping our inheritance, which is imperishable, unfading, undefiled. It's being kept in heaven for us, being guarded by God for us until that day of our final salvation. That is what we are looking to here. That is the certainty of God's blessing. Jesus wants these believers to rejoice and be glad because it gives assurance. It gives assurance that when they are persecuted, they really do belong to Christ. They've been identified as Christians. When you are persecuted, that, is, that should be a sign of assurance for you. God, God is saying, I, you're mine. People are not going to persecute you for being a Christian if you're hiding or if you're, you're just denying it like Peter did. No, no, they're going to persecute you because you're standing for Christ. And, and, and Jesus is saying here, listen, this is great assurance for you. This is proving who you are. This is proving your salvation. It's proving your faith. It's proving that you are united to Christ. And so persecution, rejoice and be glad that you are, you are counted as one who belongs to God. The great reward Jesus speaks of in this assurance is not that our salvation we, comes from knowing we made a decision somewhere in the past, but rather knowing that being, being persecuted for Christ's sake proves that we are His. Because He says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is the assurance. You are persecuted. The kingdom of heaven is yours, brothers and sisters. Yours. 
You belong in that kingdom. You experience the, the grace and gifts of that kingdom now, but what, what, what awaits you in the coming days when you enter into that kingdom for all eternity, that, that is what Jesus is saying. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the place where God dwells, where you will see God face to face, where you will experience the joy that comes with being in the kingdom of God, where there is no sorrow, there is no pain, there are no tears, there is no sin. You belong to that kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. And so no matter what the world does to us, it can never affect our standing in Christ's kingdom. Blessed are you. So rejoice and be glad. Not, and not only is your reward in heaven great, but we're also counted among the righteous who have gone before us. Listen, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If we're persecuted and we're falsely maligned and we're lied about and we're told, we are told here, Jesus says, listen, you're like the prophets, the prophets that came before me, the prophets that testified about me, the prophets that prepared the way for me. You are like them. They were persecuted for being prophets of God. They were persecuted and many died. And yet their reward is great in heaven. They were God's chosen servants. And they are now with God. And you are like one of them when you are persecuted. Listen, we are, as believers and those who will be persecuted, who maybe have been persecuted, we're in the best possible company. That's what Jesus is saying here. Though the world was not worthy of their company. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, every Christian is worthy of their company as a follower of Christ. They are, we are in the company of those who the writer of Hebrews speaks of in Hebrews 11. The, the hall of fame of, of faith, so to speak. That's whose company we are in. That's, that gives us assurance as well. That is a great reward. Persecution brings great assurance. It proves we're Christians because we're identified with Christ and it assures us that we are in the kingdom of heaven. So, brothers and sisters, when we suffer, let us not be surprised. Again, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rather, let us be prepared. And when we suffer, let us suffer with patience and with courage and cheerfulness as we pray and ask for God's strength and as we pray and ask for salvation for our persecutors. Matthew 5.44 tells us, pray for those who persecute you. And let us be like Christ, as Paul writes in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you Bless and do not curse them. That's what it means to follow the Beatitudes. In a hostile world, Jesus gave us an example to follow. In all his absolute perfection, in all his gentleness and his meekness, he was violently persecuted. Never was anyone so gentle and so kind and so merciful and so patient 
Never was anyone so righteous and pure as he was, or so peaceable, or so willing to forgive by giving up his life to pay for our sins by suffering the wrath of God and the rejection of God and being crucified and put to death on a cross. That is our example. And he did it for the joy set before him. He endured that. Brothers and sisters, at some point, persecution is going to reveal who you really are. If you try to imitate Christ, the world will praise you. If you become Christ-like, the world will hate you. So let us join willingly along with all these others, these prophets who have suffered, those of Hebrew 11 and 12 who have suffered, and the apostles in Acts 5 who said they counted it worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Let us be like them as we fulfill each and every one of these beatitudes. Not perfectly, because we still battle indwelling sin, but faithfully as we pursue Christ. Father, thank You that by Your Spirit, by Your strength, by Your grace, we can fulfill this very teaching that our Savior gives to us. Oh, Lord, Help us to do that, that we might live for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.